weekly message from Encounter, where your past has no future and hope is reborn. Here is today's special guest speaker. By this time, Jesus had developed a huge following. He was, I guess, the original rock star with the big entourage and all that. All of these people were on his heels. They were hanging on his every word, and they were waiting to see the next cool thing. They gathered up um, at the very beginning of the chapter. Well, we could actually, I guess I better. Let me back up and set the stage. In John 5, towards the end of it, Jesus had actually, what we used to say in the coal mines, he drove it up. He'd went as far as he could without the next step in the process taking place. Toward the end of John 5, Jesus has reached a point to where he's going to proclaim his deity. He's going to explain to people that he is the Son of God and there's going to be the next action in the process. You know, that's, that's what we'd say in the minds. We, we drove it up, now here comes the next thing. Here comes the next part. And that's literally what he'd done. He'd healed the man on the Sabbath. And by having to speak on that, there, there really wasn't any other way that he could do what he was going to do without a proclamation or a decree, you know, an announcement of who he truly was. So that's where we're at at the start of John 6. All of these people realize that there's something about Jesus. There's, there's something about Jesus that draws them to him, that makes, makes people want to follow him. Makes people just want to see what he's going to do next. Because there was always something next, and everything that was next was better than what came before it. So you have this huge crowd of people following Jesus around. Verse 6 2 calls it a great multitude. And it says that they saw him because of the, or they were following him because of the miracles that they saw him do. Except for nobody thought to bring supper. This whole big crowd of people is out without any food. A Domino's delivers to public places now, but this was a little bit in the past. Walmart's even going to start delivering groceries, but this was about 2,000 years before that. So there was a bit of a problem. And you know what happens next. Jesus takes the little boy's lunch. It would have amounted to what we call probably five pancakes and Two decent-sized fish at boy's lunch. You know, his mom probably gave him one to throw or feed to the fish and one to share with a friend, so it really wasn't that much food. I wondered at times what would she have thought if she'd known what was going to happen with that lunch when she fixed it. The pancakes probably would have been a little bigger. It definitely would have been the best-looking fish she had. But it was what it was. wonder if she was there. I hope she asked when he went home, how was lunch? <laughs> you know, it was okay. There really wasn't a, another lunch like that in his life, I'm sure. So Jesus feeds a whole big crowd of people with uh, just a very little bit of food. Later on that evening, 
you know this story too. He decides to take a stroll on the Sea of Galilee. He walks right up to the boat three miles offshore. The, the people in the boat had to be freaking out. I mean, when you, when you think about it, that's not a normal place that somebody walks up to you, much less in the middle of the storm. But my favorite part of, of John's account of this is that it talks about when you receive Jesus into the boat, when the disciples were willing to receive him into the boat, and I'm sure they'd calmed down a bit by then when they realized that the master was there. When they received him into the boat, John tells us that the boat immediately went where it was supposed to go. Jesus will totally do that for you. You let him in the boat, and you'll wind up where you're supposed to go. You need him in the boat. I promise you do. So the next morning, the crowd tracks Jesus down. He's, he's not a really hard guy to find. You know, that was, he always put himself out there. You could always find Jesus if you were looking for him. So the next morning, they track him down. And the way John words it, it almost sounds like they made it sound accidental. Master, when did you get here? Even though they had made a deliberate act of tracking him down. Oh, hey, Jesus, we all just happened to be here again today. All 5,000 of us. We've got three fish today. Are you going to do anything miraculous today? And Jesus actually calls them out on it. He says, you're not really here because you want to get to know me. He says, you're here because of the carnival atmosphere. You're here because maybe you can score a free meal. That's rough, but Jesus is like that. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He'll tenderly help you along if you need it, but he's not going to feed into your ego. He's not going to tell you a bunch of lies. He's not going to do any of that. So that brings us to the text that, that God dropped into my spirit. <clears throat> Looking at verse 6, 28. As soon as I find it, there it is. Here's what the Bible says about it. Then they said unto him, What shall we do? that we might work the works of God. And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. Now that's pretty simple and straightforward. So the Holy Spirit has given me a few points to examine on this this morning to make sure we get the whole picture of what Jesus is saying here. These folks were way more interested in seeing a good show than they were of getting to know Jesus personally. If somebody like that was around you, wouldn't you make every effort? Wouldn't you attempt to get to know them? Wouldn't you want to know everything about them? How do you do that? The, the thing with the fish, how was that possible? But a lot of these people, like we were talking this morning when we were in there in prayer, John, they couldn't see the forest for the trees. They didn't realize the big picture of what Jesus had to offer them. They were, yeah, they were full that day, and he even speaks on it. Yeah, you got your belly full today, but what about tomorrow? You know, I'm not always going to be here to do this for you. And he brings us along slowly. He brings us along lovingly. But he also gets your legs under you to a point where 
eventually he wants you to stand on your own leaning into him in the hard times but not not necessarily just saying Jesus what can you do for me today you know, in Hebrews 6 1 it says once you get the principal doctrine under you you need to be on toward perfection and we may never get there with it but it's fun to try it's fun to keep going for it so all of these people that that were following Jesus around they were tracking him down but they weren't really getting to know him so the first thing that the Holy Ghost gave me was to talk about purpose your purpose Jesus' purpose the purpose of all of this at some point there's got to be a revelation of purpose look at how the question look at how they posed it to Jesus right there it says how can we work the works of God it's plural when they put it to Jesus but he, he shuts that down he says there's just the one work there's really only this it's singleness of purpose and Jesus had it down pat now what's he saying here and why is it so important that we believe in him it's because that everything Jesus ever thought ever did, ever said it was like a big neon arrow pointing back to the father that was all he did he even told us what you see me do is what I've seen dad do what you hear me say I've been up there and heard it come from the father's mouth directly and that's why I'm here to repeat it that's really not a bad life plan at all and he just tried to explain it to them the chapter before and they weren't listening more or less his mission statement was for me to be successful I have to duplicate what I see the father do and only that I have to follow his instruction and only then am I going to be able to complete what he sent me to do here. Well, that's really not a bad life plan at all. So if Jesus wouldn't do anything that he didn't see the Father do, if he wouldn't do anything that wouldn't glorify God, and Jesus is supposed to be our role model, he's supposed to be the, the blueprint of our lives, well, then it stands to reason that the things that we do need to glorify the Father as well, doesn't it? That's just, that's just a simple process. Our purpose needs to be identical to His. People need to be able to see exactly where your life is pointing, what it's pointing at. Because it's pointing at something, I guarantee you. Your life is pointing at something. Your thoughts, your deeds, your actions, they point to something. Jesus had the right idea. He was pointing toward the Father look at where that got him look at where it took him you know he's sitting on the throne beside of him so people need to be able to see exactly what your life is pointing towards later on Paul would talk about it Paul would talk about the singleness of purpose you know he said I don't want to know anything among you except for Christ and him crucified could you imagine if we could flow in the cross like that could you imagine where we could take this thing man that'd be something wouldn't it it really would be the kingdom come. It, it would come. The love of God would be represented in everything, especially what we did towards one another, because that's where we fall short a lot. Paul took the words of, of these words of Jesus and he ran with them. 
He was given a look at the glory of Jesus and forgot everything else on the spot. Christ and him crucified. You know, there's really nothing else worth mentioning to Paul. There's a really important biblical principle at work in what Jesus is saying here. And he's talking about that only things of God will withstand the test of God. That's why Moses' bush didn't burn up. That's why Isaac was never in any real danger. It's also why the people trying to build the Tower of Babel couldn't do it. That's why the, the gallows that was intended for Mordecai ended up with the guy that built it hanging from it. It just wouldn't stand the test of God. So you've got to be careful with those things. And you'll end up swinging off of that gallows yourself, just like Haman did. Those things weren't initiated by God. They didn't start with him. They weren't in his purpose. And that's what you've got to watch out for. The first drops of rain that had been coming for 120 years, they probably started falling as soon as Noah closed the door and sat down because that was God's purpose. That was God's plan, and that's how it works. Proverbs 11, 1 says the Lord, he detests false weights, but good measures find favor with him. But you've got to remember who's holding the scales. You've got to remember whose, whose scales, whose balance it is exactly that we're going to be judged by. The, the scales that God holds you know they're going to be true. You know they're going to be right. You know they're going to be accurate. These people thought there'd be more to it than that. Jesus would always trip people up with a simple gospel. He was good at that, wasn't he? Lord, what do you want to do with this? Well, how about we just pray through it? Or how about we just ask the Father what he wants us to do with it? It drove them crazy. It dumbfounded them. Some of them would spend the next 30 verses arguing with Jesus. Don't argue with Jesus. Let him in the boat so you can get where you're supposed to go. That's the whole point of this. I mean, you ever really win an argument with God? I can't think of a one that I have. I've had the truth handed to me a few times, maybe in a way that I didn't want to hear it or receive it, but it was the truth. So they let Jesus in the boat and they went where they were supposed to go. And he was doing the work of the Father. That, that, what was he even doing walking on the water? See, God had initiated that. That was a really good lesson in spiritual identity right there. God wanted to walk across the sea but the part of Jesus that was man first of all he had enough faith to say okay and second of all he had enough trust and belief he believed and enough self control to put it to step out that's wild isn't it I mean there had to be the God man when you recognize the part that was entirely God, because he was 100% man and 100% God, and sometimes people say, how could you do that? Well, he's God. He can do that. The things that the God part of him wanted to do, he had to have his flesh in such subjection 
that there was never any doubt of the result. You know, the God said, see a Galilee, I want to walk across it. Four miles out from the shore, there he was. And still the man part of him is like, okay, this is going to be all right. Because the one that's driving me knows better, knows what's better for me than I do for myself. That's a heavy purpose, isn't it? The thing that Jesus came to do. You wonder why he did that? I don't think it was really to get some time out of heaven to you. I mean, he probably didn't want to leave up there. You think he was tired of hearing the holy, 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 when's that thing going to quit? You know what? I'm going down there for a little while. I mean, it's been going on for a long time. The throne room of heaven is going to be rowdy. You can, you can look it up for yourself. It's not going to be quiet and peaceful and God sitting there doing stuff between naps. It's going to be rowdy. I promise you. It's going to be active. It's active now. It's been active. It's just sometimes we forget that. But what, what God was intending the entire time, he had to send Jesus for this purpose. That was, what, that was where we were intended to be the whole time, what Jesus had actually proved by walking on the water, the God-man, that the one that's inside of you knows better for you than, than you know for yourself. And originally that was, the, that was what we stood on. So the next thing that, that the Holy Ghost had given me about this text is the process of redemption, the whole thing of redemption. And we talk a lot about it. And we should because it's, it's an important part of this whole thing. We talk about a lot about how it works. And a lot of people use illustrations of, of like coupons and things, you know, that you can hand in and redeem something or something that you purchase something with. By redemption, we're actually going back to where God wanted us the entire time. He told me once that what we view as miracles, he sees as our birthright. We should be doing this stuff all the time. And Jesus even said it. You know, after the Holy Spirit comes and you receive that power, you'll do stuff that makes this look pale in comparison. But Jesus was, Jesus was pointing to the Father as he was saying, all this spectacular stuff that I'm doing to glorify God is what he wants you to be doing. And somewhere we got off track. We act like God created all of this cool stuff for us and then put it out of our reach. Number one, he created it so you could see his hand at work, so you could see what he's capable of, so you could see who he is. And number two, he created it for our benefit. He created, created it for us to walk in. He intended for us to take part in all of it, in all of creation. And when we're redeemed, we're actually brought back into where his plan for us had been the, the entire time. I can take this phone with a few pushes of a button. I can take everything off of it. I can restore it to default value. There'll be nothing left on it but the necessities. 
there'll be nothing left on it but what the builder put in it. It'll even ask me if, I want, if I'm sure I want to do it. You know, I've got to push yes. But when I push yes, everything that I've collected in its memory, all those little traces of me, all the photos, all the images, all those things, it's gone. It's right back like it was when they made it. It may be a little worse on the outside for physical wear, but internally it's just like it was supposed to be when it came off the assembly line. Not that, not that God rolls us out like an assembly line, but you get what I'm saying. He's very personal with his creations. But all of that stuff can go away. Just as soon as I click, yes, I'm sure I really want to do this, it's gone. There's no trace of me left in there, and it's erased. And that's a better way of, of thinking, really, that, you know, sometimes we think about hiding something from God or, or things being hid from God by the blood of Jesus. And that, that's, not, that's not entirely accurate, I don't think, because I don't, I don't think you can hide things from God. I think he just chooses not to, not to look at them because of the work of the cross. I can give you a really good illustration. This I know some of you can't see it, but this opaque window, it has the little cross-shaped opening on it. One time around Easter, we were up here. It may have even been Easter Sunday. We were in worship, and I just happened to look out the little cross-shaped part of it. There was a little girl out there in a nice white dress just out there twirling in the lobby. And God said, that's how I see you. He said, I looked through this cross-shaped opening at my children. And she was in a nice little white dress. And he said, and I see you all dressed in white, cleans. I thought that was a really good illustration. But it also doesn't mean that the parts of it that aren't on the cross shape that he doesn't see. Because you could, you could tell the little girl was out there. It was just she was most clear when I looked through the cross at her. God chooses to look through the cross-shaped opening onto us and he knows if you can get your whole life into that part you're back to exactly what he wants to do with it and the rest of it is grace and it's worth mentioning now that he expects the size of the cross on the window to grow he wants it to eventually be the majority See, we don't live in grace. We just visit there. And eventually it needs to be mostly a stroll down memory lane. God's grace is powerful. It'll overcome a lot of stuff. Paul talks about the law adding transgressions in, in Romans 5 and sin abounding but grace abounding that much more. But God raised the bar when salvation came into your life. Operating in grace, it, isn't, it was never meant to be a season. Grace is, should be a moment in your life when you quickly return to right standing with God through his grace and through his love and through his mercy. You can't just, you can't just keep going on and on and on in grace. You'll never grow. You'll never be stretched into anything. If this was easy, everybody would be doing it. It's our job to get them to, get them to do it by, by weathering the hard things. 
by weathering the hard things and, and leaning on God when they come along. Things that had us bound after you've been at this for a minute, things that had you bound are now things you're accountable for taking part in. You know, grace will pull you through your shortfalls, and that's why it's there. But if you're heading into sin with your eyes wide open and expecting God to be okay with that, you're missing the mark. That's not what grace is for. You know, Paul wrote a whole letter about it and lit the Corinthians up for it. I've had people tell me they're going to they're going to pray about something that they're yoked up in. Great. I'll pray with you. But then you've got to take it the next step farther. You've got to take what God responds with and apply that. One time on a, on a fundraiser, a friend of mine and I were just hanging out at Walmart. This lady comes up, and I'm sure some of it was for the shock value of it, but she came up and asked for a, a prayer over her because she was promiscuous. I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll pray with you from a distance. You know, I'm, I'm not going to come around there and put my hands on you or anything because I can smell a trap from the devil when it comes. Um, even at that point, I could. But I, I told her, yeah, we'll, we'll pray with you. But I can tell you right now what God's going to say. He's going to tell you to stop. Sometimes the word of the Lord is knock it off. And that's hard to take. You know, I, I, I try to prep these people with, yeah, I'll pray with you, but I'm pretty sure I know what God's going to say. He's probably going to tell you to stop that. He may even ask you what you were doing in that car to start with. He may say, don't go to that website. Turn the phone off. If, it's, if, if you're engaged in this drastic text conversation with somebody and it's, and it's messing with you, Turn the phone off. Change the radio. Change the TV station. That's, that's straight from the heart of the Father right there. You're not really needing grace at that moment. You need self-control. And you need to follow the conviction of the Holy Ghost when he drops it on you. Sometimes that's rough too. I got a thick head. You know, if grace is such an all right place to dwell, some of my guys probably lived through this last night. You're eight miles an hour over the speed limit and you top the hill and there's the cop. Why are you like, whoa! Why are you slowing down, hitting the, the cruise control, the cancel, or the brake? You're operating in that officer's grace. The measure of grace that he has right at that moment determines whether or not you get a ticket. It felt good to not get a ticket but it wasn't where you want to stay. You know, and you probably slow down for a little while. Maybe not that long if it's that late getting home from a fundraiser, but it looks like they all made it. Driving seems to always magnify some of our bad behaviors, doesn't it? That's a little rabbit trail. I won't venture down it too far, but you can tell some things about people, about how they act when they're behind the wheel. People that are no, in no hurry at all, standing in a line somewhere, put them in a car and let somebody hold them up for 10 seconds. You'll see an entirely new person. Somebody that would stand around and wait on somebody patiently at work to finish what they've got going on. 
They get cut off in traffic. They have a nuclear meltdown. If somebody hits your buggy in the store or bumps into you like out in the hallway, it's no big deal. But nearly hit somebody's car with another vehicle or actually hit it, and you may, you may see something you didn't expect. What is it about automobiles that makes us just sprout horns when you get into one? As soon as you <laughs> Suddenly, bless them, Lord, is way down the list on what you're saying. And it ought not be that. I'll, all right. I've got one more thing that he gave me about this passage of text. It has to do with how we do, how we do in relationship. Relationship with him and with others. Spiritually and physically. He gave me another verse, and it's John again. It's 1 John 3, 23. It's just a few pages over if you want to turn there. If not, I'll read it to you. I thought I had it marked. Sorry about that. Oh, there it is. 1 John 3, 23 says, This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. So, once again, God has kind of raised the bar on your purpose. He'll do that to you as you grow in the Lord. He never lets you stay the same, does he? One of, one of our World Harvest instructors tells, tells us that God loves you where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. And I love that. That's a, that's a good, solid preaching right there. That's uh, Matt Johnson's father, Terry. That's some of the best words I've ever heard him impart on us. So now, now John's telling us that uh, not only do we get to believe in the Son, but we get to believe in the Son and love one another. You really can't do one without the other, can you? I don't think you can really, if you don't know Jesus, you can't really truly love people, I don't think. And if you love Jesus, you have to love people. They're just, the two are interwound. The believe part there actually goes back to the Greek goddess Pytho, the goddess of persuasion. So John is talking about being persuaded in the name of Jesus. But he takes it farther right here. He says, believe to be persuaded in the, in the name of it. He couples it with gnosko, which is a Jewish term. It actually, it actually suggests intimacy between a man and a woman. That's what John is saying right here. Take the name of Jesus. Be persuaded to believe in it to such a point that it's intimate with you. To such a point that, it, that there's no closer you can get. That's what he's talking about. And that will spill over. That's going to spill over in the love toward the other people. So Jesus first tells us that begin, to begin with, we start with singleness, purpose, direction. And everything we do starts pointing back to the Father. And don't worry about having a bunch of stuff. You're not taking that to heaven with you anyways. That was what he lit them up for in John 6. These, these are Jesus' words. Don't dwell on any of that stuff. Faith in those things is misplaced anyway. So as we go toward where he's taking us, we become more like Jesus. 
We're starting to get restored, renewed, relying on grace less and less. And don't get me wrong, I may need a good dose of grace later today. But isn't it great when you don't need it, when the word pulls you through, when you know what you know what you know and you stand on that? When like Nehemiah said, I don't have time to come down there. I'm doing this great thing for God. And if I come down there, the work's going to stop. So. So we go back to John's words. John gives us another instruction in this, the intimacy that believing brings. The intimacy that we get from being restored to our rightful place. It has to spill out onto others when you reach a point with it because there's just no way you can hold it in. Not if Jesus has really done his work on you. Not if you're really filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're really filled with the Holy Ghost and don't want to talk to people about it, there's something a little off. Moses couldn't even pronounce his words plainly. and Look what God did with him. Gideon was looking around when the angel called him a man of valor. Who? Are you sure you got the right dude? You couldn't possibly mean me. Yeah, I mean you. Yeah, I mean you, come on. And let's get the army rose up, is what the, the angel impressed on him. You've got some, some battles to fight. You've got some victory to win for the kingdom. So just when you thought you were good, here John drops that whole love thy neighbor stuff on us. Yeah, sometimes my guys get really stretched with that. Being your brother's keeper is a drag sometimes when he's off the chain at Walmart on the fundraiser or don't want to go to bed or whatever and he's keeping the whole room up and everybody's going to get hit for it. It's rough, but they do good with it for the most part. I'm proud of my guys and the way they look out for one another. I've, I've seen some things out of them that impressed me and it definitely had to be the Holy Ghost. I told you there was a lot going on in John chapter 6. By the, end, by the end of the sixth chapter of John's gospel, it says a lot of the people had left Jesus. A lot of his disciples had left. It's too much trouble. It's too much work. The fish wasn't that great anyway or whatever. They made all kinds of lame excuses, I'm sure. He ain't walked on the water in days. I'm going home. It actually says they withdrew in some translations. They just they withdrew. They just gave up. He asked Peter, you going to leave too? I'm paraphrasing, but Peter was like, what's the point? Now that I know who you are, everything else pales in comparison. Nothing else will ever be this good. Where would I go that could ever compare to this? As I was writing this last night, Paul in chains came to mind. Some of his letters he dictated. He says several times, you know, I've written this with my own hand. Paul's saying that this is what's important to me. This is how I choose to spend what little bit of time I have here left. I'm going to write the gospel of Jesus down. I'm going to write these letters to these churches. Now, that's a powerful testimony right there. 
Paul's initial counter, encounter with Jesus was so powerful that nothing else ever came close to it this side of heaven. Even getting toward the end of things, he couldn't stop writing to churches. He wouldn't stop writing to churches. But there's more to it. I, I prayed on it for a little while, and this is what the Holy Ghost showed me. You know, by then the apostles were known as jailbreakers, so they were they were pretty careful when they had one of them locked up. Paul would have been chained to another to another man. There would have been a guard, and on toward the end of his life, it was in the the dungeon in Rome, pretty dreary place, probably not really well lit. And here's Paul. You know, he's getting a little age on him too. He's struggling to write these letters. But every day, the guy that he's chained to is probably intrigued. What's this guy about? We're probably getting ready to cut off his head, and he's still sitting here writing this in these conditions. You know, and as the Holy Ghost moved his hand and the chain clanked a little bit, if the guy dozed off, he probably woke up. What's he wrote now? Another letter to another church? He's still writing about Jesus. See, Paul was being stretched in a way most of us will never experience. Just like I was up here the last time and God turned it into a stretching thing and all of a sudden this time it's not, not so bad. It's not such a big deal. And as you get your legs under you and you start heading toward perfection, there's a measure of grace that will pull you through it when you fall short. You don't want to you don't want to get too comfortable in grace. You need to know that it's there. But don't dwell in it. That's not what Jesus' purpose is about. Take it and point it back toward the Father. Give everything back to Him. You'll be all right. our special guest speaker today at Encounter. All of our guest speaker messages can be downloaded from our website, godenc.com. Messages from Bishop Michael Rice are freely available on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.